0: This is Convo by Design, and today we're talking about art. A- an impressive art consultancy with roots in Mobile, Alabama. That's right. Alabama. Martha Wade,man CEO and co-founder of Nine Dot Arts, grew up in Mobile, Alabama. And later, with co-founder and chief curator Molly Casey, grew Nine Dot Arts into a really interesting art consultancy. You're going to hear about the origins of an art consultancy that specializes in finding new voices, new stories, and inspiration by taking that road less traveled. I think it's more important now than ever before. Why? Well, if all we do is expose ourselves to the same voices, the same stories, how could we or should we expect to grow and learn something new. There are those who are happy knowing what they know and doing what they do. There are others who seek more. Seeking new inspiration is how we feed the soul and grow our professional perspectives simultaneously. Nine Dot Arts prides themselves on creating experience based on art and art installations. The beauty of art, to me anyways, is that you don't have to like it to appreciate it. I have found that I can appreciate the experience even if I don't love the piece. That experience allows for mind expansion and inspiration. And for me, that affects my other activities as well. I find this priceless. And it all starts with art, the experience. Martha has built her firm on this, and she's going to share how and why with you. Are you subscribing to the podcast? If not, Please do so, you get every episode automatically when they're published. You can find Confo by Design everywhere you find your favorite podcasts, and now you can find us on designnetwork.org, a destination dedicated to podcasts all things design and architecture. So make sure to check that out. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger, a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But at the heart is a family-owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home. And does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients. Walker Zanger started in 1952, and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have. Check out their newest collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan, a a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity walker zanger is on the cutting edge of design featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create and they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online walkerzanger.com <laughs> it's it's funny too because um i get added, asked all the all the time will you send will you send the questions You know, send me the questions you're going to ask. I want to know. I don't, I don't do that. I, I never have. I do not have a list of questions that I ask people besides. I always think like if I'm on the other side of the mic, do I really want someone asking me a list of questions that they ask everybody else? We're all different. Right. Which is one of the reasons why I was so excited to talk to you because you deal in the world of art and Yours, that's that's. It's funny. That's what I love most about talking to designers and architects. And and I put you in the category because anything that that makes us happy, anything that makes life better, anything that give, that inspires us, I'm all about it. Especially now, more than ever, right?
1: Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I I love that. And you know, I think of about art and uh, and architecture and design. And I feel like in some ways, the only difference between uh, architects and artists is one has to follow rules.
0: Yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's true, right? Um, it's interesting too, when you talk about art, <clears throat> where art meets architecture, I generally found like there's two kinds of architects. There's, there are the right bl- right brain, and then there are the left brain. And sometimes the, there's a hybrid in between. But usually, you have the fully creative, or you have the ones that are just like completely math based. Yeah. Right. But again, artists, I generally find them to be similar. And and I think that that surprises most people that you'll have some artists that are that are very formulaic in what they do because what they do is it, it works for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think to sort of back up from that a minute, where how where did you start this? You started this. Um, you started this company with uh, with Molly. When did you start this? Why did you start this? And sort of how did how did Nine Dot Arts sort of come to be?
1: So 9.arts began 11 years ago in 2009 and Molly Casey, my partner and I met at an art consulting firm where we were working together at the time and we realized and recognized the opportunity to tell brand stories and to create these visual narratives that were you know, useful and good for business. And economically opening up a whole new channel for artists and creatives to grow their careers. And that's been really motivating for us since the very beginning through today. The thing that wakes me up and gets me up every morning is how are we going to bring beauty to the world and create opportunity for living, working artists. Molly and I are both artists. We both went to school for art. Uh, She has her BFA in sculpture. I have my BFA in photography and painting. So at the core, we're artists. And I think that is one of the driving forces uh, for for this business.
0: What what is the state of art today? And, and And I ask that in sort of like, I feel like everything design, architecture, art, home has changed dramatically. And yes, you still have the business side of, of art, um, art for public spaces and that sort of thing. But, but as it relates to collectors, designers, homeowners, um, co- I, I think really collectors of, of all kinds, right, from the very beginning, you know, from the very, the rudimentary, just dipping their toe into it to, to hardcore collectors. What is the state of art today?
1: Well, here, here's the part that I can speak to. So um, at Nine Dot Arts, we focus on large scale, high profile commercial projects. So our projects are, you know, in the commercial real estate field. And, they might last multiple years. You know, there might be multifamily apartments, hospitality, a 20 acre site that needs a master plan. Uh, They might be healthcare projects. So they're more kind of long view. And those long view projects uh, really are thinking about how creative placemaking is going to shift that the way we live and work in the future. But I want to answer your question because there's there's a question in there about what is the state of the art world today and right now and and what are the impacts i think of covid and when you think about the state of art today one thing that has shifted dramatically is how artists work and how they share what they're doing with the world so you might have uh, right now, you might have artists who are, you know, using their kitchen table to make works while they're making a pot of soup and then watching their kids in the other room. And so you have this uh, influx of smaller scale works because people are working in, in their home a lot more often and rising popularity, of sites like Instagram for artist sharing and portfolio sharing because it's such a low barrier to entry, it's easy to do, it's easy to use. And the shift uh, to me that so many artists are now owning their brand identity and defining that through social media and defining their following through social media And working with outlets like you know Nine Dot Arts or Instagram or Etsy, whatever those places may be, uh, to build their own stream of of income, and that's a real shift because you know it used to be that the galleries um, and auction houses were really driving the markets, and those forces still do exist, but the shift towards independent artists and independent representation and self representation is happening at an accelerated pace now, faster than we've seen. I've been in the industry 15 years and I've been lecturing for universities and I always surveyed the class. What does a successful artist career look like to you? And for the first time in 10 years, I had a classroom where 90% of the students said that they wanted independent or self-representation as artists and that is, the first time that has ever been the majority. And it was the majority by a large, a a large margin. So that's to me, what's, what's really shifting.
0: Does, does that, does that change the marketplace? I I don't, how does that affect sort of the three levels of the marketplace? You, you have sort of your emerging artists, right? You have your mid-level and established, and then you have, you have high end. are you seeing that at, at all three levels or are you still seeing really top tier? Top tier kind of has to have representation. Um, I don't really know of any major artists that that do well at that highest level. I don't think many want to, but I think the what are you seeing? Mid, low level, that's where it's really changing?
1: Yes. Yeah, so when you look at emerging talent uh, and emerging talent can be, You know, that emerging artist definition can happen at any age. It's really uh, someone who's undiscovered, right? And one of our specialties is bringing opportunities to emerging artists or to undiscovered artists and pairing that with our client's brand or our client's project that they're working on. So when you think about the future of what art looks like, there are a few key moments that I think will shift coming out of the COVID-19 era and one of those is a trend towards local. Local art has has been a trend but will become even more so in a number of facets and for different reasons. If you think just about simple logistics, working with local artists, you know, allows you to find people who are in your neighborhood in your city in your backyard and so the supply chain you know is is very short when you can work with local artists secondly when you think about performance we can't have you know bono in and have thirty five thousand people in a stadium to see a show together right now so performance artists in theater music doing small uh, live concerts and outdoor venues I think that will be the trend for the next one or two years. Now is the time of the, the local emerging artist rise. It's never been more important than it has right now.
0: I get that. And I think I, I, I agree. Here's, what's interesting though. Um, when I, and it's funny, I think while we're all really sick of talking about COVID, I know I am, but by the at the same time, the changes that are taking place right now are real, they're long-term and they're gonna affect basically every facet of the business moving forward. Um, and when I say the business, I mean, it, you know, because I, I focus primarily on, on design and architecture of which this is a, this is a, a large part, right? And I, I think when everything started earlier in the year, in March, 2020, right? People tried to figure out, okay, well, I can't go anywhere. So what am I gonna, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna get discovered? How am I gonna get my message out? How am I going to communicate effectively? And so we had this complete influx of content from every direction. Right? We just got barrage. But because everyone was pretty much staying home, it was it was okay because there was more time to consume. So here we are now, where we've kind of adapted. And there's further adaptation is required, but there has been such an influx of content. And hey, look at me. And especially on the arts side, social media has to be fed, right? You have to feed the beast. And with the absence of in-person opportunities, you have all of these manufactured situations. So I'm curious your thoughts on the discovery process in a very crowded highly congested environment mm. how are designers getting discovered or sorry artists rather
1: yes well you know i i think that um, as you mentioned social media is making a big impact in the discovery process we have shifted our methods for researching artists for large scale you know commercial work in The past 10 years, the research process has included a search in our portfolio database. So we have an artist database that includes over 10,000 artists from 12 different countries. And so we can look through their portfolios. But during the pandemic, uh, we've shifted our research from being, you know, our database, graduate schools, uh, university publications. Which are always a great source of new talent. Uh, We've shifted that to include a multitude of social media outlets uh, because you can find undiscovered, underrepresented uh, artists who are doing really incredible things through those, those social channels. There's such a low barrier to entry. And with the influx of video, you can now have a better sense of what the work actually looks like by doing a, a video of a work of art or an installation. You get a sense of scale and material that you may not get from a photograph. And we've also switched our studio visits to be digital. So we're doing you know Zoom portfolio reviews and digital studio visits now over FaceTime, uh, which is just a, it's a total shift. It's a total shift. And there's nothing replaces seeing art in person. I fully, fully agree with that. Um, but in the meantime, the research tools of how you're able to find people has expanded exponentially.
0: I think that's true. I think what's also really interesting is the, this has been an interesting year for art. Itself, And I think it's been a, it's been a huge growth year for art. I, I re- recall at the, at the start of this year it was really interesting. I saw something that I, I, I can't recall seeing before when, you know, and maybe it was just so much more pronounced here in Southern California. But when Kobe Bryant died, something remarkable happened in the art world you saw the, um, the emergence of murals and it wasn't just LA and it wasn't just major NBA cities, it was global. And I don't recall seeing anything like that until later in the year with George Floyd. And it's really interesting that there is this connection between a, a beloved figure like Kobe and an unknown figure, like George Floyd, who got who basically tapped a nerve. Uh, at the time, it was a moment in time, right? And and I think that that's the most important thing about art: is art is is an expression of of raw emotion, as well as you know structured talent, right? But these two things hit this these emotional chords for very different reasons but it was it was similar at the same time but what it did is it connected people on a global level And, and i just i found that so interesting and that's sort of why i ask the state of of art today because i feel like we're we're in a transformative year um for a litany of reasons and i'm just curious how that translates from the rawest form of street art to the refined levels of investment grade, commercial interest grade, you know what I mean, where the difference between art being applied to a wall to express rage, love, fear, joy, to the point where someone else sees and says, I'm going to purchase that, I'm going to invest in that, because I want to be surrounded by it.
1: Well, I think the the thing that you're hitting on and in this is so important is that art tells the story of humanity. Art is our cultural voice. And this year has been a great equalizer in the way that people can share their voice and people have, artists around the world have acted with more intention. And when you think of an amazing artwork or an amazing art piece or a moving art piece, I love to reference the TED Talk by Shea Hambre, and he describes a great artwork as appealing to the head, the heart, and the hand. So the head, meaning that the art piece has this interesting, thought-provoking narrative, the heart in that it's emotive, you know, it's it's calling to a particular emotion, and then the hand that the work is is handcrafted, you know, it's not made in a factory, it's actually the work of a living individual or a group of individuals. And like you described. This year of transformation is this year where artists are using their voice. They're using that head, heart, hand to describe to the world what we're going through. And I for, firmly believe that artists have one of the greatest abilities to bring hope and to define for us how we come through this pandemic together, this uh, social disruption together, this, you know, major movement that we're in to redefine our culture and our way forward. And I think artists are playing a role because they simply must. As an artist, it's almost like you're compelled to create something. It's not like you, you know, you, you have to talk yourself into it or persuade yourself to do it. It's like, you can't stop, you know, you can't help yourself from, from making and from creating because your imagination and your ability is there. And I think now more than ever, those voices are being heard. The work is being shared and the ability to create large scale impact through grassroots movements of thousands of people, millions of people at the same time. I think we're, we're seeing the power of, of social connection and creativity.
0: So how do you translate that into an into an economic construct? You know, when when this is, and I know you get this all the time. Where is the, where are the through lines? I I think that when it comes to investing in art, you have really two kinds of people, right? You have the kind that fall in love with something and just want it around them. And then you have those that look at it as a commodity, as an investment. And then they try to figure out, well, where is the, where is the entry point? and where might the exit point be? How do you, when working with new artists who, and it's funny because it's so emotional, right? This is their heart, this is their mind, this is, this is like a, a byproduct of them, it's so personal. How do, you, how do you have that conversation about adding something like a dollar figure to something emotional like art and I asked the question because it comes up all the time with designers. You know, a designer will find that perfect piece for their client because they just know that, that it's, it should speak to them or, and, and then surprisingly so, you know, sometimes the client will say, yeah, I love it, but you know, I'm paying too much for it or why does it cost that? And, and oftentimes many, many people don't know the answer to that question. How does, how does the economics around art work today?
1: Well, in terms of the the economics of art, you know, there are so many facets of the art industry, right? There's, There's public art, there's government funding. What a lot of people think about when they think of the art industry is auction houses, the MoMA, the Whitney, right? And those are some kind of best in class institutions that academically are driving really important conversations. And there's a whole universe. There are 2 million artists in the United States. So the people who identify as artists. So there's a lot of people who are working in this space. And so economically, that means that there are a lot of channels to serve Uh, serve those artists. So it could be the Whitney, it could be Etsy, you know, it could be Sotheby's um, for, I, ah. I wait,
0: I'm sorry. I just think it's interesting to have a conversation where you're talking in the same sentence about Etsy and Sotheby's.
1: (laughs) Yes. I mean, you could get different perspectives from a number of different people My personal perspective is as an artist, you don't have, you don't have to have your work in the Whitney to be a great artist. They may not know that you're there, but other people might know, right? It depends on what your definition of success is. And to me, the definition of success is creating artwork that connects with your audience and Where 9Dot comes in is to contribute to an artist's success by financially supporting their creative work. So there was another question kind of built into that question when you were describing why, why, right? Why would people purchase something? Are they buying it because they love it? Are they buying it for an investment? So we serve clients that have a multitude of different reasons for purchasing. At the end, ideal situation is to buy what you love. Buy something that moves you. Buy something that brings you joy or will bring the people who see it joy or thought, or interest, right? Bring something that that moves the world. And secondly, buy it for the impact. Not just the impact that this is going to have on your space, but for the impact that this is going to have on the local arts economy where you are building your project. Over 90% of Americans say that Local artists are critical to uh, creating a sense of place. And so it's just a matter of time before, you know, all the people in real estate realize that there's a business case to make an impact for this, right?
0: Well, it's interesting too. And in looking at some of the things you do, I wanted to ask you, you're you're in Denver. Mm -hmm. And so the Dairy Block Alley. Mm -hmm. I I think is, is probably a a good example of where art meets commerce to create an experience. Right. And I think what's interesting about that is there's a number of issues that come into play right now with something like that. First of all, what, you know, what was your, is this an example or is this something that you had something to do with? Were you part of that project?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we've, our firm has completed over 800 commercial real estate projects around the country in the United States and in a few other countries um, outside the U.S. as well. And that particular project that you're describing at the dairy block involves more than 700 artworks over a a large-scale city block. And it created this micro district so in that particular location you'll find the work of over 60 local artists ranging from large-scale public art that's on the exterior to a display of you know small photographs of 200 small photographs by Travis Hetman um, displayed collectively on one wall so it's a really broad range of what our capabilities are and the types of artists that we work with.
0: I'm interested too. When when you work on a project like this, do you how do you address the um, the intellectual property rights? Because I think it's really interesting. There have been some some case studies over the last, really over the last five to 10 years, um, there was one in New York where there was a, a building with work a, along the whole facade of it. And someone came in, bought the building and took the work off, covered it and got sued. And I think that right now, especially with public art, um, it's such an, it's such an interesting Dynamic uh, that y- there are legal issues that are changing so rapidly, and I'm curious how do you how do you stay ahead of that, and is that something that you work on with the artists, with the investors at the at the start?
1: Yeah. So one of the most common things that we have to fix in any contracts that that we're working with this is part of our standard contract. But if we ever have to sign a client's contract, the number one change we have to make is to reroute who the copyright belongs to. It's very common, especially in hospitality, that in the hospitality contracts, they say, oh, well, anything acquired, you know, the copyright belongs to the hotel. When in fact, uh, when it comes to the world of art, we always keep the copyright with the artist. And that's in accordance with VERA, the Visual Artist Representation Act, and really just good practice and good business. You brought up the question earlier about, you know, how is the company run and how do you choose artists and how, you know, how do you develop that trust? And I think one thing that makes us different is that our, our company is run by artists. Molly and I are artists. And so by nature, not only are we there to serve the business community, but we're also there to serve the creative community. And that's a rare, a rare breed and a rare match to find. Sometimes you, you know, you see a lopsided endeavor of one or the other.
0: I think the, the, the role of the art consultant is, is changing in real time. Right. Um, When, when you're, when you're explaining to clients how you work, and I think it's interesting too, that you and Molly are, are both artists and that because it's, it's, usually there's a disconnect between the arts and the business side of things. Right. Mm -hmm. And to have two artists also on the, on the business side, I think is, is unique. And it gives you a a very special perspective. Um, So how do you get clients? How do you engage with clients? This is primarily on the business side of things, not the discovery, not the tell me what you like, tell me what you're looking for, but, really defining this. It's so nebulous, right? You're, you're defining something, you're looking, the canvas can be anywhere. It can be an existing or it can be created. So where, where do you, where does your process start?
1: Well, you know, as you can imagine it, it starts in a pretty early stage. So as consultants, we play a role in visioning in brand development and then only after those things are developed, do you get into art location planning, traffic patterns, you know, and then matching to artists with those specific calls for those locations where you get into the, uh, the matching and acquisition and curatorial process. So when you look at, you know, when a, you look at a project like the dairy block, so that micro district was 250,000 square feet, and there's components of hotel, restaurant, you know, office, art gallery, this activated pedestrian alley featuring murals and interactive art and maker shops. And we began working with the development team uh, on that project four years before it opened to develop the brand narrative of the maker. And the brand narrative of the maker is a thematic storyline that you can find throughout in a multitude of different places like the hand uh, suspended sculpture installation that greets you when you walk in the door, exemplifying the work of a handmade maker, but also a welcoming symbol to bring you into the hotel and an iconic image that is one of the most Instagrammed sites in the city.
0: Interesting, right? Um, You know, total side note, um, but one of the things that, I think is part of this, but it's really missing too. On the promotion side of this, isn't it interesting that when it comes to social, we haven't really learned protocol. And, you know, when it comes to tagging art, people will take a picture and say, well, isn't this great? But they don't tag the artist. They won't tag the, the location. It's, it's one of those things that in, in design and architecture, it exists. Um, it's a real problem. Um, but you can't train people, right?
1: Yes, it is a real challenge. And I wish I knew how to solve it. That is, (laughs) it's such a good point that you bring up. And I think one thing that happens in the design and architecture world that's important to watch out for is the use of artist work in, in a repurposed fashion that is, I mean, at its core, just illegal, you know, if nothing else, we've had shop drawings cross our desk for design packages that include direct ripoffs of of famous artists. And I don't think anyone's doing it on purpose. But, you know, we're talking about some significant copyright violations, if you proceed. So it's, you know, in some ways, it's, just a CYA move to have an art consultant on board who knows what they're doing to make sure that you're within the boundaries of the law.
0: I I think you bring up some really great points. I'm curious too, does this kind of make you it kind of makes you someone who has to become a legal expert to some degree and i'm curious does that mean that the firm has to not just educate but actually go out and in some cases defend the 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 ip rights
1: well we try to do all of that up front so that you don't have problems down the road so that's the key is you want things to happen And be determined contractually in the beginning stages. Uh, We have been asked to serve, uh, you know, as witness in court on particular cases. Uh, I typically decline those because a lot of times we're asked to serve in cases where it's historic artwork uh, or, you know, auction traded uh, items. And you know, we serve that emerging market space with living, working artists. So very rarely do those cases make their way to court. They're usually settled outside.
0: Right. It's interesting. It brings up a lot of issues. Um, you know, not not the least of which are the are the social media and the reproduction and repurposing and redistribution it's and again these are all things that we're kind of learning on on the way. Um I love what you guys are doing and I really do appreciate the time. Thank you.
1: Yeah, it's been a great conversation. I uh, I think that you hit on some great points and as you know, as designers, architects and artists, I think we can all learn from each other but also remember to turn our phones off and find our inspiration (laughs) from somewhere new so that we can truly bring original thought to the table. So true.
0: Thank you, Martha. I appreciate you, your time, and I love your story. Thank you, Walker Zanger and Thermosol for your support and partnership. And thank you for listening, subscribing to the podcast, and the constant support, texts and emails. Make sure to stay close now, because as we get so close to these live events, I am really looking forward to seeing your smiling faces in person again very soon. And until then, be well, and remember to take today first.